on just a second. Good morning. Boy, I had a good streak going, too. I had months going of having done that just right, and now the streak is over. So start keeping tally marks again and see if I can get my good mic streak going again. Uh, it's good to see you all this morning. Is it good to be here to worship? Amen. You could be outside and in the smoke. <laughs> Let's pray and just ask the Lord to uh, guide our time in His Word together. Father, this morning as... We gather here together to worship. We, we do so not because you are only here in this place, uh, but we come together corporately to be with one another to collectively worship you. You are in every place, and yet we want to be together when we worship you. We want to be an expression of the body of Christ, worshiping alongside our brother and sister. And so it is good to be here this morning, uh, most of all because it's good to be together. Uh, God, I want to just lift up uh, people throughout the valley who, um, those that are out fighting uh, are the fires right now. Uh, God, protect them. Uh, give them good decision making. Uh, give them success as they work hard. Uh, Lord, for those whose homes um, are uh, in jeopardy, uh, protect them, Lord, and again, give them good decision-making. Um, we know that uh, fire, Lord, even though it looks destructive, is, is, uh, has good benefits uh, for the forest. And uh, we're amazed at the wisdom of God that we see in every season, every season of life and even what looks destructive, um, that there is a good, wise God in control of these things. So, Lord, as we study your word now, guide us, give us wisdom and insight. Uh, help us to understand it and help us once again to lay our lives open and to be willing to change and to let the truth of your word be transferred into the substance of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, think, I think I've made my position uh, fairly clear to most all of you now over the past couple of years. I'm really not a cat person. And, and I, I think that's come out once or twice I think it's, it's relatively known. A lot of you have um, expressed your support and your solidarity with me. Some of you have even supplied me with, uh, you know, ammunition. And, and I don't mean for killing cats or anything, but I mean uh, for reinforcement for my position and additional evidence and, and these sorts of things, which I'm very thankful for. And this, a uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, a dear, sweet, intelligent lady uh, in our church, uh, with just all kinds of discernment and maturity, gave me this great little excerpt uh, uh, about the difference between cats and dogs uh, that can be discerned by reading their diary entries. And uh, I, I, I actually think it applies to what we're talking about this morning, and so I, I thought I might read a little bit of this to you. And first of all, we're going to see some excerpts from the diary of the dog, Okay. And it it goes like this, 8 a.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. You can see where this is going already, can't you? 9.30 a.m., oh boy, a car ride, my favorite. 9.40, oh boy, a walk, my favorite. 10.30, oh boy, another car ride, my favorite. 11.30, oh boy, more dog food, my favorite. 12 o'clock, oh boy, the kids, my favorite. 1 o'clock, oh boy, the yard, my favorite. 4 o'clock, oh boy, the kids again, my favorite. 
Five o'clock. Oh boy, dog food again. My favorite. Five thirty. Oh boy, mom, my favorite. Six o'clock. Oh boy, playing ball. My favorite. Eight thirty. Oh boy, sleeping in my master's bed. My favorite. Now, now, isn't that just the kind of creature you want to have around you and a part of your life? That that kind of just enthusiasm and and joy, even in the mundane things. That gratitude, that easygoing nature, doesn't that isn't that just the kind of person you want to be around? The kind, yeah. There we go. Someone's with me. In contrast, we have the cat, and I will try to read this as I imagine a cat would be thinking it. Day two hundred and eighty-three of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I am forced to eat dry cereal. I am sustained by the hope of escape and the mild satisfaction I derive from ruining a few pieces of furniture. Tomorrow I may eat another houseplant. I attempted to kill my captors this morning by weaving through their walking feet. I nearly succeeded. I must try this strategy at the top of the stairs. (laughs) Seeking to disgust and repulse these vile oppressors, I once again induced myself to vomit on their favorite chair. (laughs) I must try this on their bed. (laughs) To display my diabolical disposition, I decapitated a mouse and deposited the headless body on the kitchen floor. They only cooed and condescended, patting, patting my head and calling me a strong little kitty. This isn't working according to plan. (laughs) During a gathering of their accomplices, they placed me in solitary confinement. I overheard that my confinement was due to my power of allergies. I must learn what this means and how to use it to my advantage. (laughs) I'm convinced that the other household captives are flunkies, perhaps snitches. The dog is routinely released and seems naively happy to return. He is no doubt a half-wit. The bird speaks with humans regularly. He must be an informant. I am certain he reports my every move. Due to his current placement in the metal cage, his safety is assured, but I can wait. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> uh, I thought that was really funny. And uh, and the reason I bring it up this morning is not just, just sort of from randomness, but I really do think it applies to the message that we're looking at today as we look at the Israelite people through the Exodus and we look at their attitudes during this process of rescue. And, and we see their sort of their demeanor and the way that they approach things. Max Lucado was the author of of those little excerpts there from one of his books, and I actually love the way he sums it up. He says this, the day of a dog and the day of a cat, one content, one conniving, one at peace, the other at war, one grateful, the other grumpy, same house, same circumstances, same master, yet two entirely different attitudes. And I think that's a good, a good intro just into our, our message this morning. And so I want to ask you at the outset, are you a cat person or a dog person? <laughs> Let me rephrase. <laughs> Do you tend to have uh, an attitude that is grumpy or grateful? Do you tend to whine about what's missing in your life? Or are you thankful for what God has given to you and able to see it and reflect upon it? Are you able to obey God only when it's easy? 
or are you committed to obedience even when it's costly? Um, Last week we looked at Israel's experiences as they encountered the bitter springs of Mara. I remember they've been they've been walking days without water now, three days without water. Their their life is on the line. Their discomfort is great, and they come to these springs and they think, here it is, Uh, we have relief, and only to find that the water is bitter and We saw that these particular tests that God put Israel through were specifically to challenge uh, them, to to develop their relationship uh, with God, to develop their trust in him as he brought them to these bitter springs so that he could demonstrate that he, with his power, would make these springs of water able uh, uh, to be drunk. And we see that these tests uh, that God put them through there and the ones that we'll look at again today are, in fact, the curriculum of God to develop relationship. And he brings them into our life as well. Uh, but Israel, instead of growing in relationship and, and instead of growing in trust in, in the Lord, we find that they, they grumbled. They grumbled to the Lord. And this unfortunate attitude, this, this grumbling, actually became for Israel sort of their predominant disposition as they continued to grumble and grumble and grumble over many different things. Uh, They grumbled. That grumbling attitude was directed towards the Lord. It was directed towards his leaders. And it was directed towards just the general circumstances uh, that they faced. Uh, And so this morning I simply want to ask you, what kind of person are you? As you go through the tests and trials of life, uh, some of which God has specifically put in your place and ordained for you, that you might learn to trust him. Do you grumble through them? Do you have a, a crabby disposition? Or are you glass half empty on everything? Pessimistic and frustrated as your general nature throughout life. Israel's disposition was to complain. The way that they saw everything. And we're going to see in this passage. Even the way they looked back upon their slavery. They would have called those the good old days. So distorted was their perspective. And we can get there too, very, very easily. Look with me in Exodus 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Doesn't that sound like the cat? The diary? I mean, I I guess I did try to make my voice sound that way. But doesn't it sound like the cat? If only we had died by the Lord's hand, that would have been better. We sat around in slavery with pots of meat. Uh, I'm sure quite an exaggeration. A complete distortion of the way things were. And we see in this that there is, there is absolutely no expression or even acknowledgement or appreciation for what God has done to rescue them. Uh, they've lost sight of it completely. Uh, we're told here in this particular passage that it's the 15th day of the second month. We know that they left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month, so they've been on the road for one month. It only took one month for them to seemingly forget what God had rescued them from and to uh, think about how thankful that they were to what he had done for them. In one month's time, they have forgotten. Uh, 
And it's easy to look at Israel and kind of shake our finger at them and say, you know, how dare they? And yet you and I are exactly like them as we run into them again and again. Um, It's easy for, for us to look back at even rotten times of life, rotten stages, and say, those were the good old days. And we can sort of live with this perpetual complaint. Sometimes Christians think that, you know, criticism and complaining and grumbling is a spiritual gift. (laughs) And it's not. Um, And so Israel is looking back at their enslavement like they were the good old days where they had pots of meat. And I think, what an affront to the Lord who had rescued them, who had called them his own people who was drawing them into relationship with himself, who had set up a series of tests to grow and develop this relationship, and yet they, they couldn't see it. All they could see, all they could remember were these pots of meat and that it would have been better to die. And what we find in the middle of that, however, is that this, we find that God is gracious to them. We talked just a few minutes ago. Pastor Keith asked you, what are some of the attributes of God? And this one came out, that God is gracious. He's gracious. And he was gracious to Israel in spite of their grumbling. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite assembly, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And so the first thing we see, this first act of graciousness that we see from the Lord is that he assures Israel of his presence with them. And in fact, he says, uh, you know, you will see my glory, which of course they did. And, and I don't know about you, but as, as I read this, when I read the scriptures, I try to read it as just an honest reader. I, I bring all of my questions and my objections to it, okay? I, I trust the scriptures enough to do that. And and as I read this, at first blush, it looks to me like God is rewarding bad behavior. Right? Isn't that what? They're grumbling, they're grumbling, they're grumbling. And he he says, okay, I hear that. I see that. And I'll give you exactly what you want. And more than that, I'll even show you my glory. You will see me. I I look at that and I'm kind of like, Lord, I, I don't understand. This is the opportunity for consequences, right? This is the opportunity for discipline. This is, this is the time when you need to teach by correction. So I, so I don't understand what you're doing here. It seems like he's rewarding bad behavior. Um, but actually, as I think about it, I can think of no better corrective 
for Israel and for us when we're in this same kind of place for bad behavior than that we see and are confronted by the glory of God. That is corrective. When we see the glory of God, when we think about who he is, when we think about his majesty, when we think about all that he is, that can correct uh, the wrong thoughts and the, and the wrong place that we are in in our minds. When God is in his rightful place in our minds, we will orient our lives accordingly. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons if you think about the Lord's Prayer. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer is not, it does not begin with requests, does it? It starts with an affirmation of who God is. Right from the beginning of the, the, the act of prayer in and of itself is, is us bringing ourselves and reorienting ourselves to the Lord, right? That's, that's the act of prayer in and of itself. Uh, but, but even the, these initial affirmations in the beginning of the Lord's prayer are declaring that that's what we're doing. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he taught them first about this, this reorienting of their thoughts and their minds as they considered life and everything in it. Back to a God-centric perspective. And Jesus taught them to pray that way. And so we see in this first act here that God is gracious and, and patient with Israel, even in, even in their grumbling here because, and here's the thing, because they're rookies, because they're new to this relationship, because they're still figuring things out. And, and I think God seems to give us, as I look at the scriptures, God doesn't act absolutely the same way in every time, in every place, with every person. Have you noticed that yet? And it's frustrating because we want to lock him into a formula of expectation, and that's just not how God works. But it does seem to me that God is especially gracious with those who are rookies, with those who are new, with those who especially need his grace. And it also seems to me that there is a greater level of accountability for those who ought to know better. Uh, in fact, this same act of grumbling years later when we come, when we read in the book of Numbers, same group of people grumbling again, that time they receive judgment. And they do get consequences. And so I'll, I'll let that sort of sink into your own heart wherever you, wherever you are. Uh, if you're a rookie and you're just beginning things off with the Lord, you may have a little greater latitude for a while. <laughs> if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you know him, I mean, the Bible says too much is given, much will be required. Um, and, and I think it, it's interesting to me as it seems that those Sometimes those that have been Christians the longest can be the grumpiest people. Can I say that? Uh, lovingly, gently. Is that you? Do you need to stop and just reflect upon the glory of the Lord? And think again about what he's done for you? And declare in prayer his goodness and his greatness? Have you lost your sense of God's grace in your life? Is it your sense, your spiritual gift is to grumble and complain about everything? No, I'll leave that to you. Uh, but I would caution, don't presume upon God's grace. Don't presume upon God's grace. The second act that we, uh, of grace that we see here is not just that he assures them of his presence, in fact, show, showing them his glory, but, 
we see that God showed them that he would provide for their needs. Uh, Look at verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. I have to stop here just as an aside. I've always thought some Christian ought to come up with their own, you know, cereal. Don't you think? I mean, here, here we have really frosted flakes is kind of what's presented here. Now, we, of course, would have to come up with a different name. Uh, but, you know, anyways, uh, yeah, just an aside. Should have kept that to myself. But I didn't. Verse 15. Then the Israelites saw it and said to each other, what is it? Uh, For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they needed. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Uh, they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Uh, this is the passage of scripture men go to everywhere when they complain about leftovers, right? This is our ammunition. Uh, what we find here is that morning and evening, uh, God gives a daily tutorial that he would provide for their needs as he rained down bread from heaven in the morning and quail meat in the evening. And God did this for Israel for 40 years. Um, those of you who have ever worked out with weights, that's not me. <laughs> not at all. I don't like that. But anyone who's ever worked out with weights, you know that one of the benefits of, of weights is that through repetition comes strength, Right? And there's two theories of weight training. One is that you use heavy weights and low reps, and that's to build size. The other theory is that you do low weight and high reps, and that's to build strength. Which which pattern do you think God has Israel in here? High reps, low weight, to build strength, to build trust. He wants them to have strong muscles of relationship with him. Uh, this is curriculum. This is relationship curriculum for Israel. Um, Part of the test, however, was that there was a restriction. They were only to gather as as much as they needed for the day. Uh, God wanted to show them again and again that he was concerned about their daily needs and that he would provide for them. And I've shared with you all before, it's fairly easy for me to believe in the abstract, to believe that God is in control of the cosmos and these kinds of things because somebody is and it's not me. What's harder for me to, to trust God for is those daily things. You know what I'm talking about? You do. I know you do. It's those daily things that we think we're in control of and we think we're in charge of and we realize that we're not. Uh, we do our best, but ultimately the Lord is in control of them. But here we find God training that on a daily basis, he's in control, he's in charge, and that he is trustworthy. And then as I go back to the Lord's Prayer once again, and I, and I think about what was contained in that, you remember the line, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. Uh, this, this wasn't just a teaching just for Israel, for just back in the day. Uh, this was the same teaching, the same understanding that Jesus wanted his disciples to have, that he wanted you and I to have, uh, that we would trust God for our daily bread. And then we get a glimpse of how difficult it was for Israel 
to trust the Lord in this way, to trust for the daily bread. Uh, and so uh, God teaches them uh, another way by basically telling them he wants them to have regular rest. Look, at, look with me in verse 21. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and did and it did not stink or get maggots in it. This is, of course, the retaliation of every wife who's been criticized about leftovers, right? This is her ammunition. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh, uh, the, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, I want you to stop for just a second here. It's easy for us to read this and, again, to take the passage and read it right into our lives immediately. But remember, good Bible reading is always done with the minds of the original audience. This was written to them first and foremost, okay? And if we don't do that, we're going to miss some important nuggets. And I want you to think about this. How reassuring would it have been to Israel, a group of former slaves who had been misused and abused, to find that God was directing them to have a day of rest? How, how reassuring would that be? You, you're, you're coming out of slavery. You're leaving one master for another master. You think, you hope that this, this God, this Yahweh who has rescued you and, and, and drawn you out of Egypt is for your good and, and has good intentions for you. But you're learning that along the way. And, and then you find that he wants you to have a regular day of rest. I, I submit to you that this was an incredible encouragement to the people or should have been should have been and yet did they obey it they didn't they rejected it and i don't i don't know exactly what motivated them Uh, some commentators suggest that it was greed uh, that they simply wanted more maybe I, i have a tendency to think that it was a lack of trust still they needed those those high repetitions again those high reps to trust in the lord but god wanted them to have a regular day of rest, a holy day unto the Lord. Something interesting for you to study as you go home too. In the Ten Commandments, as it talks about the Sabbath rest, what's interesting to me is is the two different accounts, the account in Exodus 20, which we'll get to here shortly, and the account in Deuteronomy cite, uh, or they explain that we need a day of rest, but they actually give two different reasons for it. Did you notice that? Have you ever seen that before? In, In the Exodus account, Uh, We are to rest in order to model the rest of God, to imitate, to imitate uh, our Lord, that he rested after creation. But actually in the Deuteronomy account and the retelling in Deuteronomy 5, the rationale for rest is that because you were once slaves in Egypt, 
It's interesting to me. And, and, and it's not that they disagree. I think simply both are true. Yes, we model, we model or, and, and we, we follow uh, our, our Lord and our Creator in resting the way that He did. But we also demonstrate, too, by resting that we are not going to be slaves to anything else. We are quick to create for ourselves new forms of self-chosen bondage. And resting is one of those ways that we get away from that and stop that. Keeping a day of rest where we cease from work is as important for our souls as it is for our bodies. And it may be more important for our souls. Uh, we were designed for rest. Proverbs 23.4 says this, Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. And I think that's a good word. Bruce Waltke, I've written these notes in your handout here. Bruce Waltke has said this about our work. A person who feels inclined to work seven days a week should re-examine what God he or she worships. Does that sting a little bit? Abraham Heschel, Jewish man, has written this about the Sabbath. We need the Sabbath in order to survive civilization. Gallantly, ceaselessly, Quietly, man must fight for inner liberty to remain independent from the enslavement of the material world. Inner liberty depends upon being exempt from domination of things as well as from domination of people. Uh, This was an incredibly gracious thing that God gave to Israel, rest. Um, And it was a thing to teach them to trust in him. Uh, And yet they didn't fully obey it initially. I also want to show some balance in my teaching. God didn't give us rest so that we could be lazy people. Um, The rest that was to be experienced in Sabbath here, uh, we find that they had to work hard in order to enjoy that rest, didn't they? They had to work doubly hard on one day so they could rest the other day. Uh, So to me, this isn't just about fatigue so much as it is about the orientation of our soul and what we trust in. Uh, And so we find that beautiful balance between working hard and trusting God right here in this account. Finally, there's one other act of grace here that I see from the Lord, and that is this, that God wants us to remember his faithfulness, uh, especially his past faithfulness. Look at verse 32. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the, for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And here we're told that an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So I want to ask you a question in conclusion this morning. What is it in your life that you're having to trust God for? I'm confident that every person in this room has something that is, by their estimation, is out of control. It's not the way they would, they would want it to be. It may be your financial situation, your job situation, your relationship with your spouse, your spiritual, your kid's spiritual relationship. What is it that you're having to trust God for? 
And as you're, as you're coming through these different life circumstances and different tests along the way, let me ask you this. What is your general attitude as you're going through them? Are, are you grumbling con- continuously? Is that, the, is that the general disposition of your life? Angry and frustrated? Or are you going through them learning trust and confidence? Learning to trust in the Lord who delivers? God takes all of us through these kinds of circumstances and these kinds of tests as a curriculum to build relationship with himself. And we see here that God is gracious. He is present with us in these things. He provides our needs. He gives us rest. And he wants us to remember his faithfulness to us in the past. Would you pray with me? Father, again, as we, as we look at Scripture and we look at Israel, it's so easy just to look at this as history. And, and while it is that, uh, we also see in Israel our own hearts and our own struggles. And what they wrestled with, we wrestle with. And where they failed, we fail. And what they needed to learn, we need to learn. God, maybe our culture more than any other before us, has been resistant to trust in you with all of the capabilities and the technology and the things that we think we have and we think we're able to harness and we think we're able to do. Sometimes, Lord, in our own minds, we create this this sense of independence from you. And we just declare this morning, Lord, that we need you. We need you in the big picture and we need you in the day-to-day. Thank you for your graciousness to Israel, for the way you taught them lessons and took them through tests and created a curriculum for them so that they could understand you and know you. God, may we learn from their lessons uh, so that we might not experience the the same struggles. Thank you for your grace and for drawing us to yourself. And it just seems so fitting this morning that as we go to the the Lord's Supper here, we see once again in communion that you are present with us. You entered into the human experience and you provided exactly what we needed, a Savior, to give us rest, a Sabbath rest, an eternal rest with you in heaven. You have been faithful to us in the past. And this morning, Lord, we remember that. So we look forward to celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Amen.